Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Excuse My Reach. I'm your host, Emma Isaac. Today, our guest is Danielle Kunzman, a senior analyst at a global management consulting firm, McKinsey & Company. Danielle has built her career from the ground up and continues to progress to new heights. I have had the pleasure of witnessing how tremendously hard she's worked to get to where she is today and have the privilege of calling her a friend. So without further ado, Danielle, welcome to Excuse My Reach. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited that you're here. So Danielle, first and foremost, like I said, you're in consulting, but a lot of people don't know what that is at all. So can you just tell us high level, what do you do on the day to day? That's a good question. I work in a really niche industry in consulting, which is revenue cycle management. So we work with hospitals and health systems, and we advise them on ways to basically be able to stay in business and take care of patients. And that can mean diagnosing problems, uh, doing transformations and turnarounds, and helping them reach certain financial goals. How did you get into that and even know that that specific career path existed? I was pre-med in college until my last semester when I decided that I didn't want to be a doctor anymore. And I knew that consulting was a thing because I went to USC and it's really big there, but I didn't really know what it was. And I just kind of Googled healthcare consulting and hoped that that existed. And it did. And I found a really small firm in San Francisco and I started out there with revenue cycle management and then transferred to McKinsey a few years after. And you say healthcare consulting was a sector specifically that you were interested in. Are there multiple ways that you can get into consulting? Are there multiple different sectors of it? Can you talk about kind of the world in general too, if if anyone's looking for an avenue outside of healthcare possibly? Yeah, definitely. So I'm an expert consultant at McKinsey, but we have integrative consultants, which are generalists. So they're hired for their business background, mostly straight out of college, uh, undergrad or MBA school. And they're just hired for like their business expertise and their general knowledge on how businesses work. So if you're a business major, it's better to go as an integrative consultant because you don't have that experience. But because I'm an expert consultant, I was recruited because of the knowledge that I had in revenue cycle management. And you said when you went to USC, you said that you were pre-med and then you made that transition. Out of that, in kind of a unique way, you went to more of the business sector of that. How did you figure out through the process of being in college that pre-med in the sense of being a doctor wasn't necessarily for you? I started wanting to be a doctor when I watched the show House. (laughs) And um, he was he called himself like a diagnostician. And I was like, that's what I want to be. And then you Google it. And it turns out that's not even a thing. Like that doesn't exist. Really? Like a made up. Yeah. And she just made it up. Like it's not really a thing anywhere. I remember from that show, the diagnosis was always lupus. (laughs) It was never lupus. Okay, but he always thought that it was lupus and then it was never lupus. Yeah, except like the one time it was lupus and it had none of the lupus symptoms. <laughs> um, anyway, you have to like pick a certain specialty and it's really difficult because people have their hearts set on a certain specialty, but you can only get that specialty if you 
score on an exam within the score range for that specialty. So obviously specialties like neurosurgery and things like that, like you have to score much higher on your exam that you take in medical school. And so nothing is really guaranteed. Like I could go in being like, I want to be a surgeon, but I don't score within that range. Then I have to be like a family doctor, which is nothing wrong with being a family doctor, just the uncertainty of that. Like I didn't really like And I also shadowed some medical students uh, when I was going through college and they didn't really seem that happy. (laughs) Um, They kept saying that their life was like drinking out of a fire hose, like, like a fire extinguisher or whatever, where the water just like splurts out and you're just like trying to like manage your life. And that didn't sound that exciting to me. Um, And I also didn't have like a financial backing like a lot of people have who go into medical school and the idea that I wouldn't be making enough money to support myself until my thirties was also kind of unattractive to me. So with all of that in mind, I kind of also, I hated physics and I had to take physics one more semester and I just like, didn't want to do it, which is (laughs) a big contributing factor to me quitting pre-med. So I just kind of knew that consulting was something that I could be interested in and that it would make me enough money to support myself because my family couldn't. And so I just literally Googled like healthcare consulting and the names of cities I might be interested in living in. Uh, And that's kind of how my career started. I think that's a pretty relatable thing. Actually, a lot of people, even the last guest that we had on, he was also pre-med when he went into college the idea of what medicine maybe is for a lot of people when they start out younger, I think that definitely shifts as you get older. It's such an amazing profession for those that are able to do it and go through the whole process. But yeah, it definitely is a very specific career path that I think a lot of people end up transitioning out of as soon as they hear kind of the nitty gritty of all that it takes, whether that be financial implications of it or, you know, just actually the day to day of those high stress jobs. For you, when you first realized that you were not going to be doing this traditional pre-med path and you were going to be searching more into the consulting world, you said that being at USC and being surrounded by those that were trying to get into consulting really helped you out. But maybe for those that either don't go to university or go to university that consulting isn't really top of mind, you said that what you did, a lot of it was Googling, so self-research. I guess what would be your biggest piece of advice? Would it be that just to do your own research on it or reach out to people that know more about consulting? How would you say is the best way to even get your foot in the door and also understand what this profession actually is? I have a lot of things I want to touch on with that. Um, Something that you alluded to is the fact that McKinsey technically doesn't require a college degree to work there. Um, In my cohort, when I was being onboarded in Chicago, there was uh, someone who was hired at a really senior position for like cloud coding and management. And um, he never went to university. He was older, like in his 40s. And he just self-taught and became really well-respected in the field. And McKinsey saw that and hired them. So if you're looking for a company like McKinsey, you can just pick an industry that you're interested in and become an expert in that without having to have that formal education. If you're able to get internships and things like that, McKinsey is really open to that. But if you're going the more typical route through 
college and you don't have that much consulting experience and you want to maybe start at like a smaller firm before going to a big firm like I did, I would say that reaching out to people on LinkedIn really helped me. I worked at a a company that has gone through many name changes. When I worked there, it was called Triage Consulting Group. Then it was called CloudMed and now it's called R1, uh, which is part of like a much bigger company now. Um, But when I was looking at jobs, it was just like a small consulting firm in San Francisco. And I reached out to someone who was a USC alum who worked at that company and just like asked her about the position and kind of made those connections. And um, I got that job. And after when I was talking to her, she said that she told my interviewers about me before my interview and really, I think, helped me get the job. And so especially in consulting with business relationships being so important, networking even beforehand is really important to show that you understand what the job is about. And I think like the more people who can personally vouch for you, especially at bigger firms, uh, the better off you're going to be. I also had a referral from McKinsey from a coworker who I worked with at Triage Consulting Group who moved to McKinsey. And I was friends with her and then I worked with her and she gave me the referral to McKinsey. So building your professional network, I would say, is really important. I think that's really excellent advice, specifically the part that you were talking about too, not having to have a degree to get into this profession. How do you feel that somebody would go about knowing that that's a possibility at certain companies before working there? Yeah, I think that especially at companies like McKinsey, it's not really an advertised thing that they do that. Um, the person that I know, a recruiter literally reached out to them on LinkedIn and was interested enough that they didn't care that he didn't have typical college experience. And that's why I think building your professional network is so important because there could be opportunities that aren't necessarily advertised or the way that a job posting is listed, it'll say that something's a requirement that might not actually be a requirement from an HR perspective. Uh, if you have enough experience. And I think a lot of McKinsey job listings, they'll say like a bachelor's degree or equivalent experience. And so looking for little terminology like that in job listings can be indicator that they're more flexible. But I will say that for triage consulting group, they had a really strict uh, GPA requirement. And no matter how much experience you had, if you didn't have the GPA in college, even if you were like four or five years out of college, like they wouldn't even look at your application. So it just depends on the firm. And that's why I think talking to somebody about the firms that you're interested in is super helpful. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Do you feel like starting out at a smaller company was the most beneficial way to eventually get to maybe one of the bigger brand names? Because I think a lot of people... They see these names, they see McKinsey, they see Bain, they see EY, all of these really big consulting companies, and that's their goal. That's what they want to strive for. And sometimes I think they strive for them right off the bat. Do you feel like it was really more helpful for you to start off somewhere smaller, less recognized, to then be able to go and work for one of these bigger companies? Yeah, I think it depends on what you want. And I was just talking with somebody about this recently that I think there's a really big difference between 
people who work at McKinsey who were business majors who are generalist consultants right out of college versus people in my department who are expert consultants who were recruited from other smaller firms to build up this department at McKinsey. And I think those groups of people want two really different things. And for me, going into my career, it was important that the work I was doing felt impactful. Like I didn't want to do work for the sake of it. And at McKinsey, especially like it's a lot of work and it's hard work and it's a lot of hours and you're doing it all the time. And so I would never want to be a generalist consultant. So that's what was important to me. And in order to become an expert consultant at McKinsey, as far as I know from my department, like you need the experience. And I got the experience at a smaller firm where I was able to get more individualized attention and there's only so many people. So you kind of advance really quickly. I think I became a senior consultant in 20 months at my old firm because like there was a need to promote people uh, and it was just like a quicker turnaround. Whereas I think the promotion at, at McKinsey, like it takes a lot longer as well to, to learn that much uh, of the field that you're in because there's so many other things you have to learn about like McKinsey's way of communicating that like it becomes harder to be an expert on a topic. Um, so I think it was really beneficial for me and what I wanted but I guess if you just want to be like a generalist consultant and you just want to work at like a really prestigious company, then I guess maybe it doesn't make sense to go to a small firm first. But in my opinion, I think it is easier to be recruited at big firms as an experienced hire versus like an entry level hire. But I don't know the exact stats on that, but it's similar to how it's probably easier to get into a really good school as a transfer than it is as a freshman. So I think it's like a similar concept. The work that you're talking about, that really hard work that you have to do within these companies, can you talk a bit more specifically about the day-to-day, more than just the high-level overview? If somebody's trying to get into consulting and they're simply wondering, what does a Monday through Friday look like? And if that's at all appealing to them, can you try? And I know this is probably different between jobs, between weeks, between projects, but just kind of the, the easiest way to summarize what a week in the life at a consulting firm looks like. Every day is different. Um, to start like from the top, I think like big picture, it's a lot of meeting with different tenure of people and problem solving and a lot of conceptual work that you then put into pages in PowerPoint. When you're new, like you just make a lot of pages in PowerPoint and that's like a good chunk of your job. Um, But it just depends on the type of study. I had to, on my first study, I had SQL experience from my previous job but I had to learn Alteryx, which is like a, a visual version of SQL, um, and build out an entire like flow to do this data analysis. And we have this team that you can call 24-7 that will like teach you data analytics over the phone. So I did that like my first few weeks, like literally just had to learn this like new coding language. And then use a lot of Excel, like you export that data into Excel and then uh 
you make sure we do a lot of like poking holes into things, like making sure that the numbers make sense. So I'll meet with uh, someone who's like one tenure above me all the way up through partners and just like poke holes into things and like really pressure test things. I think is something that's really big at McKinsey. Like basically every day you're expected to have output and have produced new insights that are going to be pressure tested at the end of the day. Um, And I think the biggest difference between McKinsey and my old firm is the expectation of like constant productivity. Like you need to be like constantly producing results like and have new insights every day because we have such tight timelines. Uh, Whereas at my old firm, we were kind of just mining for something called underpayment, which is just like the difference between what a hospital should have been paid versus what they were paid. Um, And we had monthly goals, but it's really at McKinsey, I think you have like 24 hours to turn an ask around. Whereas at my old company, it was like, however long it took, it was fine. Um, So I think that's the difference between the two firms. That's really interesting, actually, that there is such a big difference. I mean, it's it's one core thing, but that that difference actually probably changes your day to day a lot and changes how you work with the 24 hour turnaround time versus, you know, a long time to be able to produce that result. When you went into each of these jobs, what would you say was the most useful skill set that you came in with? Both your first job, when you first came in, didn't have consulting experience. What skills do you feel like they valued the most that ultimately was able to get you hired? And then also going into the bigger firm that you're at now, what skill sets do you think were most valuable that you transferred over from your previous experiences? Yeah, I think especially because I had no consulting or business experience at my first job, um, they do one-on-one training that like someone is sitting next to you, I guess it's virtual now, uh, and like screen sharing with you and like showing you exactly like what to click and what to do. And so like just ability to like listen for super long periods of time and like retain information so you don't have to have them repeat themselves, I think was really important. And also like asking the right questions uh, and being curious was important for my first job. For McKinsey, I think, the ability to work under pressure is super important and um, be able to keep in mind the big picture, even when you're working on small details, because a lot of times partners will like want to know a status update and they don't care about like the numbers that you're getting. They want like a big picture, like what we're going to tell the client. Um, And so being able to like zoom in and zoom out is super important. And I don't think I had that skill out of college, but I had it from, the firm that I worked at previously. Um, I feel like when I talk about how I got hired at McKinsey, I often say that I don't think I would have had a chance of being hired out of college, but like only because I had the previous experience working as a professional, um, just like the toolkit that you get as a professional, like in your early twenties is so different than what you have coming straight out of college. Um, So yeah, I I don't think that I would have had a chance working at McKinsey before that. I think that's also, though, very relatable because I think we go out of or we get out of college or whatever situation you're in. Maybe you were working beforehand and you're trying to make a transition into something completely different. And I think something that's almost a lack of knowledge when you're in college is how little you will know about the profession that you get into 
as soon as you graduate. As much as you can teach at a university, as great as the education will be or could be, there is always going to be a knowledge gap until you start doing the job. So I think that's exactly like what you're saying here. There's things that you just couldn't have known that it took that gaining that experience to actually figure it out and to excel in the position. You talked earlier about promotion and how you felt that it was easier or maybe there was more of a need for promotion at your smaller company. Now being at McKinsey, do you feel like there's a clear path to promotion and for any of these big firms just for people to hear what is the growth trajectory? What is your senior analyst now? So what would be your next job and the next job and the next job so that people can kind of realize what that structure would be? Yeah, so I'm a senior analyst and the only position below that is like, I think just a general analyst or junior analyst or intern is even below that. Um, But my next promotion would be to specialist. And that's because I'm an expert consultant. So there's an extra step. Uh, When you're a generalist, I think you can go right to like an engagement manager. Um, And an engagement manager is like the head of an individual study. And I think McKinsey's part, they do a really good job of outlining what you need. Um, There's like whole website, internal website that like goes over all the skills you need for promotion. And for me, because I'm an expert consultant, there's certain timeframes when you can get promoted. Whereas for generalist consultants, I think they can get promoted like whenever. Um, But for me, there's like two cycles a year where you can actually get promoted. Um, So depending on when you're hired, that makes it like easier or more difficult to get promoted in a certain time frame. So they don't really give hard time frames like my previous firm did. My previous firm, they said it was like an up and out mentality. Like you're either going to get promoted or you're going to get fired. Um, Harsh. At McKinsey, like it's, it's, yeah. um, at McKinsey, like it's not like that. I think they say between like 18 to 24 months, like you're, you're ready to like maybe, maybe be promoted to specialist from senior analyst the way staffing happens at my old firm, like you were always staffed. There was no gap in between. Like you're always serving a client, but at McKinsey, like sometimes there just aren't any studies that are a right fit. So you're spending time not on a client engagement, which is still valuable, but you obviously grow a lot more when you're on a client engagement. And so for me, like I've been working at the firm for six months, but I've been on one client engagement because it's been like slow. Um, So that would make it like more difficult for me to get promoted in 18 months, but it doesn't have anything to do with like my actual performance, just like the way that staffing lined up. So the expectation isn't like you're going to get promoted in 18 months. And if you're not, you're doing a bad job. Like it just really depends on the circumstances. Can you tell me about the time between when you're on one client engagement to the next? What is the work that's being done between those times? Yeah, all different things. Um, I've been loaned out to like other departments to make pages for them in PowerPoint. Um, Some client development work, like to get proposals in front of potential new clients. Um, And I've worked on internal curriculums to help guide senior analysts uh, and other other roles and how to onboard people into our department if they're a generalist consultant coming into our department. Like, what do they need to know about revenue cycle to be able to do a study properly with us. Um, so we're doing like all different things and it just kind of depends. I've helped put together um, 
a diagnostic, which is just like this big data analytic project. So that was super valuable for me to get that experience, but it's just not as much of a churn and as much of a sprint as a client engagement. Um, So I think you just don't grow as quickly when you're not staffed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Based on the timeline of promotions and based on when you come into the company, do you find that there is a certain age range of people at each level? I guess what I'm trying to say here too is, do you feel like you are on the younger side in the position that you're in? Do you feel like the people above you are significantly older than you? I want people to kind of get a sense of this industry, what age you would be possibly at each level. I wrote a a book and it was about the old CEO of Best Buy who worked at McKinsey and he was partner, like a full partner by 30. Wow. Um, I don't even know how that's possible. I don't know a single partner who's 30. Um, They're all older. Most of them have like kids and families. I'm not going to take a guess at their exact age just in case. (laughs) Offensive, Um, But they're definitely older than 30. Um, I think engagement manager is like 30s normally. Um, I'm definitely like the same age as most of the senior analysts because most of them came in my department came from my old firm. Um, So we all are like very similar age and tenure. So I think like mid twenties is like what makes sense for a senior analyst. Uh, And I know someone who works at McKinsey who was hired straight out of college and they just got promoted to senior analyst at like 24. So I feel like that's pretty standard and specialist. I think it just depends. Somebody who I worked with at my old firm, she started in my cohort, like at, the same day that I started and she just got promoted to specialist. So I think there's more variability there, but I do think like engagement manager, like normally like thirties to mid thirties. And then I think after that you become like an associate partner. And I think there's more range there with age, but I've noticed like partner and senior partner, they're definitely like older than 30. I don't know how anyone would be a partner at 30. I don't even know if that (laughs) happens anymore. That's, that would be insane. That's a crazy level of growth. Do you feel like for people that are there, do you get the sense that everyone is striving to be a partner or do you feel that there's a general sense that everyone is on a very different trajectory of what they actually want to get out of this job and what skills too do you feel like this job helps you to get the next job, whatever that may be? Yeah, so it just depends on the person. I've heard people say, oh, like after my time at McKinsey, like I'm gonna like do X, Y, and Z. So they're very much like planning on leaving. Um, And then some people like wanna be a senior partner and a managing partner of uh, a location or something. So it just depends. But McKinsey alum like have gone on to do a lot of things. I think one of them was like the CEO of Best Buy. Uh, I read Grit and I think, which is a really good book. And I think she worked at McKinsey. So I think it just gives you a lot of credibility. It's like the equivalent of going to Harvard to be like a thought leader in whatever industry you're super interested in. Uh, McKinsey also has something called take time where you can like still be employed, but like you're not working and you're like working on other interests. And so a lot of people will take that time to like write a book on their field. And I think it gives it a lot more credibility to say that you worked at McKinsey for X years in this field whether that's 
warranted or not. I don't know. But I know like a lot of people do that. Um, I had lunch with a senior partner and he wrote a bunch of books that were like New York Times bestsellers. He gave them to us as gifts. I have them on my bookshelf. And um, he said that like he was able to do that because like the firm lets lets us do that. So people just want different things out of it. But no one's also like super transparent about it like no one's like oh yeah i'm only here so i can like get credibility to become a ceo at x y and z company but i think like you can kind of pick the skills you want to grow and develop and from what they're focusing on you can kind of tell like if they want to be a partner or not what do you feel aside from just the skill sets that you could come out of being at a job like this, what do you feel is the most beneficial parts of it? Is this job incredibly lucrative? Do you feel like you're able to gain many connections from it? Tell us about that a little bit more. Definitely. I think from my old firm to McKenzie, it like doubled my salary. So that's obviously a really good benefit. Um, I live alone in a one bedroom apartment in Lower East Side in Manhattan, which is like not cheap. So like I'm able to do that, which is really nice. And definitely I benefit. Um, We travel a lot, which I really think is fun. Uh, Some people hate it, but I really like it. So I think that's a really good benefit. It's normally uh, like Monday through Thursday. And then I mean, before COVID, like we'd go into your home office on Fridays and maybe like a happy hour. And I really like that because I feel like I don't get bored that often, which is really important to me in a career. And then in terms of like general skills, I think at McKinsey, you have to just like (laughs) always kind of be able to have an answer, even if you don't have an answer. And I think that's a really good skill for like life in general. And also just attention to detail, like little things like making pages and making sure things are aligned. Like it seems really tedious and annoying when it's like really late at night, you just want to go to bed and you're aligning text boxes. But I think there's a lot to be said for like working through being really tired and making sure like things are still perfect. Even if you want to just like go to bed and you don't really care that much, just like knowing that it's like important and like doing hard work, even if it's not fun, which is not a skill that I actually got from my first firm. I think because when I, I became a senior consultant so quickly, I was able to delegate things I didn't want to do. Um, but at McKinsey, like, if someone asks you to do something, like, you're not, you're going to do it. Like, you can't really delegate it as much. Um, so I never had to do work I didn't want to do until I got at McKinsey, which I think is also a very good life skill. I think that is a really great life skill. On the other end of that, what do you feel like is maybe the hardest thing about this job or this profession as a whole? I think feedback can be really direct and really nitpicky, which is tough to feel like people are really like analyzing everything you do and say all the time. And it's not also, it's also not really in the moment feedback. It's like post study feedback. And then you get the feeling that like you thought you were doing a really good job. And then you have all this feedback that like no one had told you previously. And that's kind of difficult. And I feel like, because partners are so busy, they're going to tell like spend the most time on what you should improve and not as much time on what you do well, because they don't like need to just, they don't need to tell you to like keep doing what you're doing. And so I think like constructive feedback definitely outweighs like positive feedback. Whereas at my old firm, it was like skills based feedback and it was mostly just positive, at least my 
reviews were mostly just positive. <laughs> um, so I think that was a really big change. And like partners don't have time to like put it nicely or something like they're going to be super direct about it. So I think that's like the most difficult part, working really hard on something. I feel like you did a really good job putting in extra hours and staying up late and then sending it off and having no like recognition of that because it's just kind of normal and expected that you stay on really late until it's perfect and like it being perfect is like the expectation like it's not an exceptional thing that you did like it had it was supposed to be perfect so like there's no like praise for that like that's just like what's expected that is really challenging i think specifically i don't know i would i would bet that we're in a time that we have been kind of used to praise too like we we like to hear positive feedback to also know what we're doing right and what we should do more of and then also to not be able to really hear what that constructive criticism is for a long time until after months and months of having done that hard work and then kind of not being able to pinpoint what those things are that you can actually improve on for somebody that feels similarly to you in their career currently Do you have any advice on how to go about either understanding what those pinpoints are for constructive criticism before it gets to a point of maybe reviews or even being able to communicate that there is need for more positive reinforcement? Or do you feel like that's just the industry that there is no positive reinforcement and constructive criticism will just come whenever those on top believe it should? I think setting up like mid like midway through a study like feedback sessions um you'll be able to get more positive feedback because they'll have like more time to think about it um because it's like not just like you know if you're if you're only getting feedback at one point like they want to tell you everything you need to improve and if there's no time for like super positive examples of like good work you did like then that's just kind of what happens but also I think it just depends like I've had some uh, managers that gave positive feedback like pretty regularly like like after I did like a data analysis they'd be like oh like that looks good like that's what I had envisioned like you're on the right track and other ones that would just be like okay like now do this and I think just assuming that if they're not telling you that it's wrong it's probably right because if it's wrong they're definitely going to tell you um if it's bad they're definitely going to tell you but I think a uh, McKinsey like everything we're just like all so busy and like there's such tight timelines like we don't have time to like at my old firm you would get like a long list of like everything you ever did well like specific examples like nobody has time to keep track of that or relay that to you at like a bigger firm um so just kind of I think keeping track of your accomplishments yourself to give to your evaluator at the end of the year is super important because I think they can get overlooked like I learned all of all tricks in like a few days by myself and like was never once brought up in like any of my evals that I did that um because actually I don't know why I just wasn't brought up so and I feel like that's like a really good positive thing that I did but it was like never mentioned at all but like I also got like a lot of feedback because it was like my first study at the firms like there was a lot of like feedback that was like necessary to give me for my next project and I feel like there's like wasn't time to go into like specific examples of things that I did well yeah I think that's actually really good advice to keep track of your accomplishments in your job along the way because you know what you've done best it's actually something that I've started to do for myself as well 
also you forget you forget every single thing that you've worked on you forget every single progress point that you've made so to have that actually listed out something that you can bring to people or show or even just keep track of yourself you know to know okay I actually made a really large impact in this one year to be able to see that I think is really helpful I want to know is consulting everything that you thought that it would be and a twofold question to that what do you wish that you would have known before getting into this career? I only knew of consulting because when I was in college, I dated someone who was a business major and he was like, if you know anything about what USC business majors are like perceived to be, he was like exactly that. (laughs) And so I thought everybody was going to be like that and be like kind of calculating and say one thing, but mean something else like kind of thing. Um, And I found that like, that's not the case and people are really actually like nice and like want to help you. Like it's not as competitive as people think it is. Um, Even at a bigger firm like McKinsey, like the other senior analysts, I ask them questions all the time, even if I've literally never worked with them. Um, And everyone like really wants you to succeed. Like even the partners who are giving you difficult feedback really want you to succeed. Like they'll tell you that, like I'm only giving you this feedback because I think you can do really well at this firm. And like, I'm going to give you really specific feedback because then nobody else is going to have to correct you on something, even if it's really small. And I didn't expect that. I thought it was really, really competitive and kind of like you're on your own. And from what I did expect, like it's definitely like hard work, especially at McKinsey. Like, nope, you're going to be assigned something brand new and nobody's going to know what the answer is. Like you're going to have to figure it out. And like, nobody's going to know what the end product should look like. Like that's your responsibility. And just like being okay with the uncertainty is something that I didn't expect. Like I thought like you just go in and you get an answer and you present it, but like our answer is like constantly evolving and nobody really knows until like the day before, like what we think like our final recommendation should be because it's super holistic and looking at like everything that we like mine through data and interviews and things like that. And I think something else I didn't expect was how much money you could make. Like I knew it was a lucrative business, but I feel like I didn't realize. Um, And it's not just because of the salary that you make, but just the um, like credibility you get and the opportunities you can get outside of working in consulting that can be really lucrative. And so if you're like business minded, like it could be a good place to get like the credibility you need to start a business. Uh, That's not really why I do consulting, but I think that's like a valid reason to do consulting. Those are all really useful points for people to know previous to getting into this career, I think. So thank you for sharing that. Now, having known all that you know, are you happy to be where you're at now? Yeah, I am. I think my biggest fear and like why I wanted to be a doctor initially was that like every day is a little different You get different patients and like repetition, like the same thing every day. And like an office job was like the thing that I wanted the least as an adult. And I feel like consulting gives you that variety without having to literally operate on people. So um, it was a good in between for me. And I think there's just like so many opportunities that can come from it that it's not like, I have to be a consultant forever. Like I can easily transition and use those skills for anything. I'm glad that you're happy there. I'm glad that you feel like you're learning really transferable skills and you're in a profession where you're able to 
have this really cool lifestyle too. You know, you do get to travel a lot. You get to work on really cool projects. You're still in the health sector and you're living in New York City, back where you wanted to be. So I'm happy for you. (laughs) But I also do want to get into other things that are able to make us happy apart from our job and what we gain from that, which are our passions. Do you have any passions that you're most passionate about currently? And how do you balance those two within, I'm sure, the little time that you have having this very strenuous job? I think the thing that is super difficult about working is that when you're staffed, you're probably traveling every week, Monday through Thursday. That's a very different routine than when I'm not staffed and I'm just like working from home for a whole like week or two, it can be kind of difficult to like stick with something that you're passionate about. So I just have like little side hobbies. Um, my current one is like needle stitching. Um, wait, I, I wish this was video because hold on, literally didn't even ask. I'll describe it. This is okay. Danielle is showing me right now the most beautifully needle stitched piece of artwork I've ever seen. It's really beautiful. Are those flowers? open to interpretation okay it kind of looks like a combination of corn and flowers a beautiful autumn scene is what i'm looking at right now but that's really impressive i didn't even know that she did this you guys and i'm her friend so this is news to me and it's really really cool a thanksgiving centerpiece maybe who knows um i bought a guitar haven't played it it's more aspirational so I think like that's kind of difficult with consulting, but I also know people who like definitely do keep up with their hobbies. I think one of my managers is like an avid gardener and like grows fruits and vegetables um, and he like can keep up with that. So possible, but it's definitely just like difficult. Do you feel like those passions continue to manifest in new ways as you get older and as you just experience different things? Like I said, I had no idea that you even had that passion right there and you just bought a guitar. But do you feel like there are passions that you just continue to pick up and that you gravitate towards more as you get older? I feel like I just get really into things for a little bit. One of my recent passions, it's actually COVID passion. Um, I read like this biography about Natalie Wood and then I watched like all of her movies and I read all the books that those movies were based off of. Um, So I kind of do that. I don't really have like one passion I've had like forever though. That's okay. I think changing passions can actually sometimes be more fun because you learn very unique skill sets that way that you probably would never have even thought to learn. Next, I kind of want to just get into some, I know we've been talking about advice this whole time for anybody listening that wants to get into this profession but what would be your top piece of advice for anyone trying to get into this field again it's one that I think you probably don't know anything about until you're in a very specific situation maybe like university where people around you are doing it or maybe you're looking up lucrative career paths and this one comes up So anybody that is really considering it right now, or maybe they listen to this podcast and this is the first time that they're hearing about consulting and it's exciting to them, the prospect of what you're talking about. But of course, when you, before you get into a job, there's so much that you don't know. So what would be your biggest piece of advice for somebody that's starting off brand new embarking on this career? I think the advice depends on like what stage of life you're in. So if you're in college, I think, the best and easiest way to get into consulting at like a bigger firm is like to get an internship at that firm. 
um, because it shows like the interest. But at the same time, I'm aware like that's super competitive and a lot of them are unpaid and like that's a privilege to be able to take an unpaid internship. And so if you can't get an internship at like a big firm, what a lot of firms are looking for but aren't listed in job descriptions are like soft skills, like communication and teamwork. Um, So even like getting a part-time job to show that like you can have those skills and work with people, I think is super important when you're in college. Um, If you're like about to graduate and it's maybe a little bit too late to like get an internship, I think finding an industry that you could see yourself wanting to just like constantly learn about and getting a job in that industry is a really good way to become like an expert consultant at a big firm. I know a lot of people um, that I work with were previously like practicing doctors. and they decide that they don't want to practice anymore, but they still liked medicine. So they do like healthcare consulting at McKinsey. I'm not saying that you have to go like to medical school, but uh, even being like a scribe for a doctor and I'm just giving healthcare examples because that's kind of what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like getting like that good foundation to show that like you can bring expertise to the firm and like have that value add, I think is really important. Also, I think the most important thing is like not to compare like what you're doing to other people because everyone at McKinsey has like these crazy backgrounds. I was at this girl and like at there's like a lunch host at a partner's house and she had like written all these like screenplays and like her parents helped her like produce the actual plays and like just like crazy stuff. And like she worked in like a really non-related field at McKinsey and um, that was like something that she ended up talking about a lot in her interviews, which is obviously not at all related to what we do at McKinsey, but like having your own interest and showing that you can like really commit to something, I think is what a lot of firms are looking for too. And like, that's not easy, like writing your own plays and putting them on. It's not easy. Like you have to be able to work with people and it just shows all the soft skills that they're looking for, even if it's super non-conventional. And how would you say if you're coming in with more of that unconventional talents or skills, what would be your biggest piece of advice on how to be confident in those skills and how to present them forward to show that you are a value add? Yeah, I think knowing like when to leverage like your past experience um, can be really difficult, but it's also really important. I worked in like a similar field previous to McKinsey, but it's not exactly the same. And so I think for me, like on my first study, knowing when to like speak up and say that like I've seen something similar before or I have experience with a certain kind of communication style and things like that, it was like kind of intimidating. But once I did, they're like, oh, okay, like you can take this on then and like this could be like your work stream. And then you're able to do work that like you feel like you have some kind of knowledge about or some kind of experience in. I think you like kind of do better work that way when you feel like you have something to base it off of. So always feeling comfortable interjecting that like you have some kind of experience because not everybody who you're working with has the exact same experience as you. And in a lot of ways, I think what makes McKinsey like a really good firm is that everybody is really different. Um, And you were hired for a specific reason for all of your skills. And even if you didn't talk about them in an interview, I'm sure they know literally everything about you and it contributed (laughs) to you getting hired and so just like using that and like not being afraid to like speak up is super important especially um we do a lot of like problem solving sessions and it's really important that like you talk in them and like bring up things that you know even if it doesn't seem directly relevant it can actually like start a conversation and like 
remind someone of something that they know and uh, things like that. So it's really important to speak up about like your past experiences. I think that's really good advice. I also think too, that some people even maybe listening to your advice and listening to your career trajectory and everything, they may see this as a profession that maybe only a certain personality type can get into. I feel that for a lot of careers, you can kind of put on your career hat. You know what I'm saying? Like you can kind of go into a job and you don't have to be the most extroverted person to feel confident in the job that you're doing. You know, you can actually be an introvert in your real life and then get into a room and be the one that is always putting their foot forward. So I think that's something that it's it's good to remind yourself that just because you may not think that your personality type could do this job I think you absolutely can. Every time that anyone enters a professional world, you're kind of putting on some kind of a some kind of a different costume, you know? You're you're stepping into a different persona. Yeah, we talk about that a lot at McKinsey and when you start a study, you like just kind of like debrief where you talk about like your personality type and how it contributes to your working style. So uh, we're pretty open about like if you're introverted, extroverted, and like what that means for how you want to work. Um, so that's like pretty embraced at McKinsey. I don't know about other firms, but it's definitely like a normal thing that we talk about a lot. That's interesting that even different personality types are talked about at all. That's actually really cool. And I'm sure leads to probably really effective communication and collaboration. That's awesome. As we reach the end of this episode, I want to know from you what's next for Danielle? Is there anything that you're reaching for right now? I would say, because I'm still at my first year of McKinsey, you're still considered a new hire. So I think just like learning my job will be really nice. I'm feeling like confident in the role and whether or not that leads to a promotion, I think is more up to other people than me. But I think like feeling really confident and comfortable in the role is what I'm looking forward to over the next few months. Very cool. I think continuing to be comfortable in your role and progress within the job that you're currently doing is a really amazing next step. Now for the final question, I want to ask you, is there a quote or a phrase that you live by something that's gotten you through on the day to day or just something that you really like to hear over and over again? Yeah, I think my favorite quote is by Taylor Swift. And I think she said it in an interview like a really long time ago, but she said, never believe anyone who tells you that you don't deserve what you want. And I think it's a great quote and it can apply to a lot of people. That's an amazing quote. Definitely a really good one to leave you guys with today. I hope that you guys gained a lot of knowledge from this interview today. She has taught me a lot about consulting, about what it even is, what the career trajectory is. So hopefully you guys were able to take a bit of a nugget out of this, whether you're trying to get into consulting yourself or just want to learn a bit more about what your friend does if they're in consulting. Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences, your knowledge, your stories. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can find us, Excuse My Reach, on all major streaming platforms. Like, download, subscribe, share with your friends, be kind to those around you, and don't be afraid to reach a little higher.